times, justice is incomplete. And that's all you get. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 4, Episode 36 of the Real Spies, Real Lives podcast. This is where we talk about writing, spies, and writing about spies. I'm your host, espionage author P.A. Duncan. So I'll give you an ongoing review of that new Netflix series I mentioned earlier, Spy Ops. Episode 3 was Operation Pimlico, which was the exfiltration of KGB Colonel Oleg Gordievsky from the Soviet Union into Finland and on to England. I'm not going to go into too much detail, because I think it's better if you watch this episode. It's a classic Cold War operation. British intelligence versus the KGB, and it's a real nail-biter. I knew the outcome because I'd seen another documentary years ago about Gordievsky, but it was still a nail-biter. Gordievsky was a KGB officer in Denmark when the Prague Spring happened in Czechoslovakia in 1968. And the reaction of the Soviet Union to Dubček's socialism with a human face disillusioned Gordievsky. He made a phone call to this effect to his wife, not knowing that his phone was tapped by the Danish intelligence service they passed the tape on to British intelligence who recruited Gordievsky and he agreed to be a double agent. He is celebrated as one of the top KGB assets anyone ever scored and he provided loads of significant intel to British intelligence which they shared notably with the U.S., he was considered so critical that British intelligence refused to name him to either Margaret Thatcher, who was prime minister, unfortunately, at the time, or Ronald Reagan, president of the U.S., or to the CIA. However, CIA trader Aldridge Ames saw enough of the information that Gordievsky provided that he kind of figured it out and told the KGB that one of their high-ranking officers was giving up secrets and that Ames thought it might be Gordievsky. The KGB recalled Gordievsky and several other high-ranking KGB officers, but after weeks of investigating they couldn't prove that it was definitely Gordievsky. As a KGB officer, he knew what would happen to him. A sham trial and a bullet to the head in the basement of the Lubyanka KGB headquarters. 
so he left an agreed-upon signal for British intelligence in Moscow requesting an exfiltration. Now, I'm not going to describe that part of it because, again, I think you should watch the episode and see for yourself. Highly exciting, simple, yet effective. To underscore how damaging Gordievsky's treason was, the show has an interview with a retired KGB officer who had been Gordievsky's trainer, friend, and mentor. This man reiterated that the KGB didn't know it was Gordievsky until after the exfiltration. If I had known before, he said, I'd have shot him myself. It's a superb episode, again with interviews of those involved, including Gordievsky, who now lives under a new name in England, along with his family. And that's the only thing that they didn't quite cover in this episode. Gordievsky left his wife and children behind, and yet Apparently, when England requested that they be allowed to come to England, the Soviet Union agreed. I mean, I'm sure there was lots of negotiating and so forth behind that. This episode didn't cover that. It was specifically dealing with the exfiltration and not what happened afterward. So, Spy Ops on Netflix. Great show. Episode 4 is entitled The Plot to Kill the Pope, and it's advertised sort of as everything you thought you knew about the shooting of John Paul II is wrong. Promises to be interesting as well. All right, let's get to book three of the series Self-Inflicted Wounds, which I've been featuring this month. Book three and the conclusion to the series is And Justice for All. And Justice for All opens right after the end of book two, where my witnesses and tries to stop the kidnapping of Ivan Stambolic, a former president of Yugoslavia, a real person, by the way, who had been Milosevic's mentor. The two men had parted ways and whereas Stambolic had removed himself from politics, Milosevic still saw him as a potential rival. Now, in my world, my Russian mercenaries kidnap Stambolic as he's taking his daily jog in a park near his apartment. The kidnapping part is true. This did happen. Stambolic was kidnapped, and his body wasn't found for several years but I managed to work that into the novel as well. In And Justice for All, Mai and Alexei press on with their mission to stop the killings, and they discover two things. Two of Alexei's nephews, his sister's sons, are among the mercenaries, and the mercenary's handler is an old adversary, ex-CIA officer Cassandra Brown. Even after Kolya Antonov, the older of the two nephews, defects, as it were, to mine Alexei's side, they realize Cassandra didn't trust the man she hired. 
Kolya doesn't know where Cassandra and his brother Sasha will go. Cassandra hasn't shared the locations of all of her safe houses, which were likely provided by the Serbian secret police. Then, Mai is kidnapped by Cassandra, and she and Cassandra have a running gun battle in a deserted nunnery and church. Gotta include some tropes, you know. And, well, you have to read the book to find out what happens. Yes, I'm evil that way. On the surface, as book three comes to a conclusion, it appears that Mai and Alexei have completed their mission. The killings have stopped, and the opposition candidate that Mai convinced to run defeats Milosevic in the moved-up election. However, there are some loose threads. Who in the government authorized these political murders, for one? Mai and Alexei are sure it's Milosevic, but as in real life, there is no definite link, no proof. Also, even though the mission is technically over, Mai is frustrated that she didn't find Stambolich. One thing they do find is who betrayed Mai's whereabouts to Cassandra Brown. Unknown to Mai, though, Alexei finds out who passed that information on to Mai's betrayer. So maybe the two of them have spent far too much time in the Balkans. Separately, they both exact some blood vengeance. And then it's back to retirement. Or is it? And now it's commercial time. You're listening, I hope, to this podcast on Thursday, September 21st, which means we're into the second day of free books. Welcome to Belgrade, Dangerous Truths and Justice for All and the reader magnet Dateline Belgrade are free through September 24th, 2023, in case you're listening to this a few years from now. Three novels and a novelette-sized reader magnet for free. Don't let anyone tell you I don't love my readers. I adore them, so they get free books almost every month this year. And, drumroll, the reader magnet for book four of my 9-11 series, Meeting the Enemy, is now available to pre-order. Book four, which is the conclusion of the series, Meeting the Enemy, is titled Rendition. So the reader magnet follows the format of all the other series reader magnets and is titled Prologue to Rendition. Prologue to Rendition goes back more than 25 years in time to when Mai Fisher has just finished her training and evaluation to become a directorate operative. The then head of the directorate, Nigel Hume, doesn't believe Mai is operational material despite all the glowing reports he's received about her abilities. So he orders Alexei to come up with a test severe enough that Nigel can be assured Mai won't break under torture. 
in the novel rendition coming in December. Maya is in charge of a CIA black site in her undercover role as CIA chief of staff, Catherine Burke, in 2003. And the Arbust administration is unhappy that she's not using those enhanced interrogation techniques on her high-value prisoner. Prologue to Rendition Explains Why It was a tough story to write, and my beta reader said it was tough to read. There are depictions of torture, threat of rape, fear of rape, and gun violence in this novelette, so I've put a trigger warning up front in an author's note. I accept that it may not be for everyone, especially if you're triggered by what I've mentioned. An odd thing for an author to more or less discourage buying a book. I'm not really. It's just not for everyone. I want my historical fiction to show the truth, including truths that make us uncomfortable. But I also don't want to mess up anyone's mental health. So, read the description and decide for yourself whether this book is for you. It's going to be published anyway. I'll put the link for the free books and for the pre-order, which has a special price of 99 cents, in the description of this episode. And commercial over. All right, time for a reading from and justice for all. Let me set this up a bit. This is not at the very end, but it's it's at the final part of this book, and it deals with tying up some of those loose ends I mentioned. Mai and Alexei have left Yugoslavia because, as I said, the main part of their mission is over. But there are those loose threads I mentioned. Alexei begins to work on how to snip his while Mai pretty much severs hers. And Justice for All, Chapter 25, Understanding Norfolk, Virginia, September 2000 The captain of the Ukrainian tall ship, a privately owned schooner named Fatherland, had been a school chum fellow young pioneer and comrade in Komsomol with Alexei Bukharin. Alexei had gone into the Soviet Army and Vasily, the Soviet Navy. They'd lost touch. But when Alexei discovered Mai's company Euro Enterprises was a sponsor of Opsail 2000 and that the global tour of sailing ships would make several stops in the U.S., Alexei had rekindled the connection. Vasily's ship, Fatherland, was privately owned, but used to train Ukrainian Navy cadets. At 95 feet long, it wasn't the biggest of the opsail vessels, but it was a stirring sight to see on its approach to the flotilla's first stop in America, Norfolk, Virginia. Alexei had arranged to meet Vasily 
for lunch at a waterfront restaurant on Willoughby Spit. Not fancy, but decent food and a wonderful view of Willoughby Bay. Vasily, with a bit more girth than Alexei now, though they'd both had similar long and lanky frames as teenagers, had ordered brie with smoked oysters and fried shrimp for an appetizer and a crab cake dinner for his entree. Alexei had tuna bites for a starter and a fried seafood combo, all of it delicious after weeks of eating Balkan cuisine. They stuck to beer, and Vasily made lewd remarks about the waitress, though out of her earshot. I should not say such things, Vasily said. My girls are that age. And you, uh, you have a son, right? Yes, he has two children. My granddaughter is twenty and my grandson is not yet one. Different mothers. Vasily laughed and said, When we were boys, we never thought of families and grandchildren, only the conquest, eh? Alexei smiled in memory. And now we're old enough, the conquest has no appeal. Oh, Vasily said, drinking beer and giving a muffled belch, I still feel the need for conquest. Merely, I don't want to face my wife's wrath. Vasily peered out over the water. Your wife died, didn't she? Yes, a long time ago. I remarried. He and Vasily compared pictures of their grandchildren, talked about the major changes in their lives, and Vasily complained a bit more about his wife. The small talk was almost a Russian or Ukrainian necessity, whether doing business or pleasure. Their appetizers came and they applied themselves to them. When the small talk resumed, it was Vasily who picked it up. The rumor was you were recruited by the KGB when you were 15 or 16, Vasily said, eyes narrowed at Alexei. I noticed the change. As a kid, you were always serious, always so focused on playing the piano to please your mother. Do you still play? I do. I have a piano in my home. Vasily nodded, chewing. But when you were fifteen or so, you became boringly serious. He laughed, but that tapered off when he saw Alexei hadn't joined him. And, of course, you cannot admit it, except there is no KGB anymore, and Ukraine is not part of Russia either, thank God. I defected in the 1960s. I heard that, too. How was the trip over? Alexei asked. He was done with the small talk. Ah, uh, you will not or cannot talk about it. No problem. I always figured you would be good at the spook stuff. That mind of yours was always thinking, calculating. Vasily ate some more, sampling first the oysters, then the shrimp. The trip over was adventurous, he said, finally. How so? The GPS unit Fatherland's owners installed on her was piece of shit and crapped out 500 miles into the Atlantic. Some of the captains we had a side bet going on, a race to see who would get to Norfolk first, so I was fucked. What did you do? 
Vasily laughed. I took out my old sextant, which was part of the museum display on board, and navigated like a real sailor. I wasn't first, but I beat a bunch of those rich men with the fancy GPS navigation systems. I will take the sun and stars over satellites any day. More laughter, and Vasily downed his beer, summoned another. So, old friend, what do you need from me? What makes you think I need anything from you? Why else would you seek me out after, what, almost forty years? Vasily leaned closer and lowered his voice. Do you need my help for a, uh, what do you call them, a mission, a operation? Alexei withheld his smile. Something like that. And I get something in return? Of course, that goes without saying. What do you want? Nothing for myself. I am a sailor. Did you know the level of salt in seawater is the same as in our blood? We came from the sea. Unless you believe the priest, but who does anymore? The sea, sailing on the sea, is my life. I was not born on the sea, but I want to die on a good ship and be dropped into the sea from that good ship to be buried. You're asking for something for your ship. Da, da. The travel agents who own her are skinflints, always wanting me to do more with less. She is old ship, a good one, but old. I would like to put into Mystic, Connecticut at the museum there that specializes in historical vessels and have structural repairs done over the winter. There were a few storms on the Atlantic that were hard on her. The owners will not support that expense, but they will accept a charitable donation. How much are we talking? A few hundred thousand. Vasily smiled again. Another rumor says you remarried a rich woman. I did, but I did not marry her for her money. Vasily shrugged and applied himself to his meal. How important for your mission is the help you need from me? he asked. Crucial. Then you have your answer. Bastard, Alexei thought, taking advantage of a friendship, except that was exactly what Alexei was doing. That knowledge didn't ease his temper. Vasily, my starry drug, understand something. I have played this game a lot longer than you, and there is no one better at it. That means do not fuck with me, ever. Yes, I need your help, and yes, you will be rewarded. But yes, if you ever discuss this with anyone... You will have an impromptu and unexpected burial at sea, most likely not from a good ship. Viponimayete? Da? Da? No problem. You will get your winter in Connecticut, and after that, there is no need for us to renew our friendship. Konechna, tell me what you need. Alexei did in a low, emphatic voice. That is it? Vasily said and shook his head. So much drama over such a small thing? You always were far too serious. 
Chapter 26 You'll Need a Scorecard Kensington Palace Gardens, London, England September 2000 To pass the time until his scheduled appointment, the CIA's Assistant Director for Field Operations fed the Kensington Park ducks. They wouldn't leave the water for their treats, but swam headlong to snatch the bits of day-old bread he tossed them. Whatever species of fish living in the murky water contended with the ducks for the morsels, the water churned with their movement and the air filled with the ducks' angry protests. The turned-up collar of his Burberry protected his neck from the London drizzle and hid the coiled wire from his receiver to the earbud. Despite the increasing volume of the ducks' vocalizations, he heard the head of his security team advise him his appointment approached from the right. He looked in that direction and saw the UN spy. She was dressed in black, form-fitting trousers, tank top, jacket. Her hair, usually pulled back in a rigid French braid, was down. Sunglasses, despite the dreary day. She limped, favoring one side. Some new injury. He remembered when they were both green agents for different organizations, introduced to each other on a joint training exercise. He'd made a move on her, and she'd deflected it well. It was the overbearing Russian who threatened to break him in half if he tried it again. She'd stayed in operations, but he'd risen through the CIA ranks to management. She liked the grittiness too much, whereas he'd never liked blood on his hands. Others' hands, no problem, but not his. He emptied the remainder of the bread into the water, folded the paper bag, and stowed it in his coat pocket. He headed for the pathway to meet my fisher. He stopped and waited for her to come to him. He smiled at her. Today I'm Alistair. I've always liked that name, he said. You look pale. I see the Balkans didn't agree with you again. I plan to stay away, she replied. Ah, that accent, so cultured but without affectation. It was perfect for where they met. Well, I hear that's not all you plan to stay away from, Alistair said. It was time, especially now that I know friends are really enemies. Let's walk, he said, and she joined him at his side as they strolled. He clasped his hands behind his back, her arms swung in time to her limp. I heard you and Alexei mopped up that operation we discussed before, he said. We did. In the process, I killed Cassandra Brown. A blunt admission, with no remorse, though perhaps a hint of regret. Nelson forwarded your after-action report, heavily redacted, I might add. Clearly more a matter of self-defense, an accident even. No skin off my nose. She was an ex-employee. She was a consultant, one used exclusively by you, Mai said. She did have certain needed skills. They walked in silence for nearly a minute. You gave her my transponder frequency, Mai said. 
not an accusation, a statement of fact. He pursed his lips but didn't reply. I'm rather glad you didn't try to deny it, she said. We got access to her computer and our data forensics people confirmed you exchanged emails with her, including one with the frequency. Lots of people work at the CIA. What makes you think it was me? She smiled and shook her head. And now you've denied it. That's too bad. But I do have some questions. Ask them, but I may not have the answers. You wanted that email to be found, and you knew we'd likely be the ones to find it. Why? He stayed silent. How did you get that frequency? More silence. Never mind, she said. I have a hunch, and I'll confirm it. You lied to me about running an op in Belgrade. You knew Cassandra was there, working for you. Cassandra never would have admitted to that. She laid a false trail. Well, that's what Alexei thinks. He wants to cut you some slack, but then the old boys' club always wants that. And what do you want? To feed you to the aquatic fauna in small pieces. A threat, not a joke. All right, Alistair said. I'll spare you the 20 questions. Eight million dollars is a lot of money to pay out as a reward. The State Department's reward for evidence against Milosevic. Yeah. Cassandra was willing to take him down for half that. No overt ties to state or the CIA. Milosevic out of power. We add to the budget surplus. State wasn't in the loop. You're well aware I have a somewhat free hand in planning certain ops which Langley doesn't want or need to know about. Why lie to me in Berlin when I asked point-blank if you were running an op in Belgrade? He smiled as he walked. Oh, I suppose I could have told you, but where's the fun in that? If I had, would you have offered to help her? No. Well, I find that unlikely. No one wants Milosevic before the world court more than I do. The difference is I want justice, not murder. You said this wasn't your operation, but you gave her up to me. Maybe I underestimated you, Alistair said, smiling again. You're lying to my face, again. No, you thought she'd kill me before I figured it out. He shrugged and replied quite the opposite. I banked on your being the better operative, and I would have regretted it terribly if she'd succeeded. I won't regret your death, Mai said. I've always known you have guts in spades, but I have no fewer than eight bodyguards in the park. The woman with the pram has been detained once constables found guns inside it. The groundskeeper is involved with some pesky tourists. The necking couple are explaining themselves to another constable. Shall I continue? My. Let bygones be bygones. It was a job, an op. Nothing personal. What about the people Cassandra managed to have killed? What about bystanders caught in the crossfire? What about Sasha Antonov? I killed him, too. 
I read the report. Remember, he was an idiot to put himself between you and a target. He thought he was in love with her. With Cassandra? God, he wasn't an idiot. He was stupid. Look, I have no problem taking responsibility for any of it. That's my job. And I don't let it bother me. That's always been your problem. You let things get to you. Accept all the responsibility you want, but you've lost my respect. He laughed at that. I, uh, I wasn't aware I had it. I see now that was another of my mistakes. You still have mine, my. Nothing has changed. I never lied to you. I never cost you your life. I saved it once. Everyone lies in our business. You like to ignore that. As for my life, I wasn't aware I owed you for that. Of course we lie. To our marks, to assets, to governments, but not to each other. And you've never lied to your partner. Let's not bring him into this. Are you certain you want the honesty? The truth can hurt. I know that better than anyone. All right. You only have part of the picture. He stopped walking, thrust his hands deep in his coat pockets, and turned to her. By whatever means necessary, Milosevic's regime was going to be destabilized. That was first and foremost. Yes, the mission request came from state, but the directorate was plausible deniability for the CIA, like it's been before, like it'll be again. Finally, this was also going to be Cassandra's last consult for us. And I happened to be the means for that, or you planned it that way. You've done a lot of work in the Balkans recently. It was inevitable you'd encounter each other. And I've always liked killing multiple birds with a single stone. Dwindling resources are a persistent management concern these days. He checked his watch. They were beyond the time he'd allotted her. My, he said, I don't see a problem here. You're alive. Alexei's alive. Thanks to Cassandra and you. Milosevic lost his election and probably will end up in a cell at The Hague. Cassandra's at a piece she could never have found in life. And the U.S. Treasury is only out the seed money. You killed her and most of the Russians before I ever had to pay up. <laughs> she played you. She had an endless supply of cash to pay mercenaries and purchase guns. She worked for you, but someone in the Yugoslavian government had deeper pockets. Well then, Alistair said with another smile, it all worked out for the best that you won that little battle in the bell tower, didn't it? There is still the matter of my transponder frequency. It was CIA tech that damped the signal and almost got me killed. I haven't a clue what you're talking about. That leak must be closer to home. Good seeing you, as always. My regards to Alexei. He turned and walked away from her, a knot of tension between his shoulder blades. He stopped, looked over his shoulder. She hadn't moved. He turned back to her. Why don't you finish the job? Bring Milosevic all the way down, in a way where he won't pop back up. I'm not an assassin. I never was. And 
I'm retired now, but if I were you, I'd watch my back. Employ a food taster, get a bomb-sniffing dog, use a condom for the next whore you hire. Really, my, such crass threats from someone of your class and breeding. Well, that wasn't a threat. It was good advice. I'd take it. I'm sure that gets others quaking in their boots, but I knew you when. And let's not part on harsh words. How about a cup of tea or a pint at a pub? I'm expected home. Remember what I said. Fuck her, he thought. Enjoy my retirement, my. When you get bored, I'm an equal opportunity employer. He walked away again, the tension lessening as he got distance between them. He heard a laugh and it chilled him, but when he looked back again, she was gone. Okay, that was a long reading, but I really wanted to wrap up the book. Those are a couple of my favorite scenes that I wrote in that book. You always have your favorite scenes, and the one with Mai and the CIA guy there is one of my favorites. This weekend in my town, we're having the Queen City Mischief and Magic Festival. That's our homage to Harry Potter, all things Harry Potter. Our downtown turns into Diagon Alley. We have a Quidditch match, and it's become increasingly popular. Attendees at this festival almost double our population. Of course, all of us locals avoid it. I have attended, and it's fun, but it's a lot of people for a small town. So I think I'll pass up this opportunity to keep an eye out for spies. The proceeding has been a production of Unexpected Paths Media. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. Join us next week for a new episode of the Real Spies, Real Lives podcast and Slava Ukraini.